You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. These are our reviews of The Girl on the Train and The Birth of a Nation. I used to watch this perfect couple. They were the embodiment of true love. I want to start my life over again. I saw her. I saw her from the train. She was, she was with this man. Just for a second. Is this her? Okay, everybody. So that right there, that was the trailer for the girl on the train welcome everybody to the next best picture podcast i am your host matt neglia and the girl on the train is about a commuter named rachel watson played by emily blunt who catches daily glimpses of a seemingly perfect couple scott and megan from the window of her train one day watson witnesses something shocking unfold in the backyard of the stranger's home Rachel tells the authorities what she thinks she saw after learning that Megan is now missing and feared dead. Unable to trust her own memory, the troubled woman begins her own investigation while police suspect that Rachel may have crossed a dangerous line. The film stars Emily Blunt, Rebecca Ferguson, Haley Bennett, Justin Theroux, Luke Evans, Allison Janney, Edgar Ramirez, and Lisa Kudrow. With me today for this review, I've got the usual Will and Michael... And we have a guest with us today. We've got Sarah from sarahsawamovie.com. Sarah, let's start off with you first here. What did you think of The Girl on the Train? Great, thank you. Um, I did not enjoy this film. Um, I'll just start off by saying that. Um, so I've, I'd read the book. Um, I, in fact, finished reading the book about an hour before I saw the film. So it was all very fresh um, when the film started. Um, I enjoyed the book, found the story was quite compelling, but just really poorly written um, in the sense that it's very repetitive. Um, So my main hope for the movie was that it would fix that repetitiveness. I just think with a film instead of a book, you get that chance to really trim down the storyline and just make it more cohesive. Um, But unfortunately, the film made it worse. it didn't fix the issues I had with the book and pretty much took away everything I liked and found compelling about the book and just turned it into a boring, soulless, lifeless, poor of excuse of a film that I barely think deserves to be called a thriller, um, if that is what they're calling it. Um, yeah, got a lot of feelings towards this and none of them are positive. Damn. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good way to start it off. Will, what about you? Um, so I suspect that I'm going to be the most positive in the group, which isn't to say very positive, but I don't think I'm going to eviscerate the film like you guys. I have not read the book. I found portions of the film to be moderately compelling. And I really have to say, I thought Emily Blunt gave one of her best performances I think Emily Blunt's performance will stay in my personal Best Actress lineups through much of this year. Um, I think the film particularly runs out of steam once the big twist is revealed. And even before then, it's paced and edited oddly to not make it as thrilling as possible. So let me say this. I don't think it's very good. I also don't think it is the apocalypse of filmmaking that many are cutting it out to be. All right. Michael, is it the apocalypse of filmmaking that many people are cutting it out to be? Oh, it's not even close to an apocalypse. But that said, it's not a very good movie, which I'm very disappointed to say, because earlier in, this, earlier in the year, it was one of my more anticipated titles. I really like The Help, which Tate Taylor directed, and this was being sold as the next Gone Girl, which I'm always down for a genre thriller. So if they're able to pull it off, more power to them. That just was not the case here. I found this to be messy, incoherent, repetitive, and it didn't even feel like a film to me. It just felt like a long trailer, and nothing really took off. This is a hot 
steamy, smelly, trashy pile of crap. That's what this film is to me. I just found it to be so revolting, disgusting, and really terrible to watch. The the film, it, like, ah, oh my God, where do I start? So there's the cinematography of this film, first of all, which I personally did not feel uh, was the right aesthetic choice for a, a thriller such as this. I also heavily disagreed with the uh, editing of this movie in many ways. Terrible and editing. Everybody Ugh. talks about like, oh, well, that's how the book is. Stop it. Well, then don't make it into a movie if that's how the book is or find a better way to do it. We're here to judge the movie, not the book. You know, it's, it's fine if you have that comparison as uh, Sarah does, for example. But I myself never having read the book, I'm watching this as a movie. And I'm telling you right now, the editing in this film is confusing as all hell. Because it's jumping ahead four months. Then it's saying it's from this person's perspective two months ago. And then it's saying we're in the present day. And it's like it's just all over the place. And you see the same scenes done over again. And I guess they're supposed to be from a different perspective. But you really never get that feeling. You just feel like you're seeing the same thing again and again. Mm-hmm. I will say this. This isn't the apocalypse of filmmaking. And yeah, I think that the entire movie on every single level is a failure, except for Emily Blunt's performance, which I do feel is one of the best of her career. I feel very strongly that she dove into this role headfirst, really tried to give it her all. It's just a shame that the rest of the film could not be as committed and as great as she is. I I think that she plays the mannerisms the speech patterns the emotional hysteria the confusion i think everything about her performance is absolutely right on the money i think it's totally spot on everybody else though i i like i thought Haley bennett was all right i thought she had one or two good scenes i i think she needed maybe two more scenes to really sell me on this being like a great performance as it is. I think it's un- an underwritten performance as far as the screenplay goes. I Absolutely. Don't think, I don't think anybody gets their time to shine uh, as far as, you know, just even screen time like Blunt does. It's it's interesting what you're saying about the, um, about the editing and how it kind of uh, jumps around from, uh, you know, time to time, month to month, you know, even years sometimes. And the book is the same as that, but that was one of the things I found most frustrating about the book um, in that you'd sort of read, uh, you'd read one set of events and then the next chapter would be kind of, you know, way back and and you'd sort of have to, you'd have to read, you'd have to go back on yourself almost and go, okay, where are we now? What year am I in? What month? What day is it? Who am I? You know, it was just, it was quite difficult to keep a track of, um, of those things. And again, I just, it's, it's, it's difficult not to compare the book and the film because obviously having read the book, but I really hoped the film would fix those issues, but it just, the way that the film was put together, the way it was constructed, it just didn't work at all. It was incredibly confusing and it just meant the narrative was muddled. And I think that really affect me being able to find it engaging and compelling in any way at all. It just, it was just a mess. You say it's difficult to uh, understand what's going on in some of these flashbacks and where we are, that by the end of it, when you find out the mystery, yeah, it's really not worth going through the trouble because it's not even that great of I a didn't payoff. Care. And it was so predictable to me, too. I knew that the film was leading us one way, but they were going to go another way. And there was only one logical choice of where it could possibly go. And of course, that's it. Like, there's no second twist after that. No. It's exactly what you think it's going to be. Yeah, I was. I think I was kind of enjoying part of the film because I was expecting more of a twist, and I was trying to do a lot of mental math. And I think that's why I overall view the film as less, a little bit less awful than some of you guys, because I was getting engaged. I think in my own mind because I assumed there was something better, and then it was the minute the big twist happened, it was like somebody let the air out of a balloon. I was just saying, oh, oh, and it had nowhere to go. And then of course. The character involved with that is as uninteresting as possible in the film's portrayal of that person. There's no real character motivations for that moment that make sense to me 
other than to say that that person is just as mentally unstable as Emily Blunt is playing an alcoholic in this movie. What did we think about Emily Blunt's personal journey of trying to get sober? Did you care? Was it handled well? Et cetera, et cetera. There was a personal journey of her trying to get sober? <laughs> you see one AA. Yeah, well, I mean, but she's clearly trying to... There's multiple times throughout the film where, once again, she rejects alcohol. And they try to position... Uh, her turning down that glass of vodka in the film's climax is something of her having moved beyond on some level her alcoholism in order to remember. So I think there's something interesting in the idea of a blackout drunk trying to stay sober enough to solve a crime. I just don't think the film handled it well enough. And I think that's something, there was a hint of something interesting there, an actual character arc that just wasn't fleshed out enough in exchange for just a dull retelling of the story. Because I found that mildly compelling, you know, the, my God, it's also really melodramatic, but the idea of I can't drink that even though I want to so badly because I have to stay focused. I, I would say there was something of a personal journey. It just was far from adequately explored. Poor execution and storytelling from Tate Taylor is what it comes down to. Yeah. It's, I think it was it was quite difficult. I found to actually as my, I really did enjoy Emily Blunt's performance, and I think she was the best thing about this film. But it was just quite difficult to to relate to this character to be to be on that journey with her because when everything else around it is such a mess, it really didn't matter what Emily Blunt was doing or or what even that character was doing when everything around everything else around it just didn't work, and that I think was really where it fell apart and. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought Emily Blunt was good in this. Like, I think she gave it her all. But the way that you're all talking about her performance, it sounds like I might be the most negative about it here. I think you are. Uh, like I said, she, she, she's fine. Like, she doesn't do anything wrong. And it might be how the film is edited that took me out of it. But I don't think this is anywhere near what I consider to be her best work, which would be like The Devil Wears Prada and Into the Woods. Like, I think she's put to much better use in those films and turns in what I believe to be maybe not as complex performances, but in the end, I believe to be better. I just thought that on a sheer level of stuff to do, you know, she has to be in an emotional state pretty much throughout the entire film. She has to fumble through her uh, speech patterns and come up with these uh, rhythms uh, of coming off being drunk, you know, because obviously unless if they got her drunk on screen, she's trying to play drunk. She had to wear prosthetics to come off as a sloppy drunk, apparently. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen drunk people. We've all seen drunk people. And there are times where you can tell somebody is playing drunk. I actually really did feel that Emily Blunt could quite, could quite possibly really be drunk uh, in her performance here. That's how good I personally thought she was. I would agree. She had kind of the the swollen eyes and face in general going on, the walk, as you said, the speech patterns. And you're right, it was kind of dialed up to 11 the whole time. It's a performance that was almost entirely at the peak of emotion, but it didn't really get stale to see somebody who is that emotional for that long in the film, which is something you do see in a film that in a performance, sometimes it's very tear heavy. You know, I felt like she still managed to be compelling and interesting, despite the fact she's basically giving us emotional extremes the entire film. And, you know, there's a, a story here, unfortunately, it's based on uh, a source material where the story is already set and you need to tell that story as it's already pre-written. But to me, th this whole story of deception and betrayal and murder is so boring compared to Emily Blunt's journey and what she's going through in terms of her past relationship going through alcoholism and trying to move on with her life. I actually found that if there was a way that this could have just been uh, a, a film inspired by that book instead of uh, based on the book, I, I really truly felt that there could have been a compelling uh, storyline there. But this whole murder mystery thriller is just been there, done that. You're not 
provide me anything new. And it's all very boring. Like for a thriller, at least liven it up a little bit. You can have some fun with a trashy thriller. Kind of felt like it was two separate films at, at one stage as well. You know, you had Emily Blunt and her character's journey and things that she was going through in terms of, you know, recovering from, from being an alcoholic. And then you just had a murder mystery thrown in as well. It just, like the two just didn't, didn't gel very well. And I think that's what stopped the, you know, the story seeming, you know, interesting or compelling is it just those two didn't, it just didn't work, which is so strange because that's how the, that's how the story is and that's how it's written, but it just weirdly didn't work. On top of that, you have these characters who are almost like connecting those two ends of the film. And some of them feel like so arbitrary, these characters that it doesn't really make much sense. Like you have Edgar Ramirez, who seems like he's building towards something and then his character just really serves no real purpose. Disappears, really. Yeah. And Luke same Evans, with, like, the same thing. Lisa Kudrow also, who pops up for like two scenes. Yep. And it's like, you still would have had almost the same exact film, even if she didn't There's show no up. There's for her to be in there. There really wasn't. <laughs> and I love Lisa Kudrow. I would watch her in anything. But this character, what's she even doing here? Something based upon the book, I, I suppose. Right, Sarah? Nope. <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, no? The Lisa Kudrow character. There's nothing in the book. <laughs> You're kidding. Wait, yeah. so she was not involved with any major reveals in the book either? Nope, that character doesn't exist. <laughs> oh, God, then why? What? Yeah. That's terrible adaptation. Yeah. I'm, I'm officially dumbfounded. Me too. <laughs> well, she does get to have a plate of deviled eggs thrown at okay, her. Okay, yeah, so. that was fun. One of my favorite bits. That was, that was, that was <laughs> definitely a bit, a bit of fun, for sure. Uh, this is a film that... Quite honestly, I am never, ever going to watch again. You could say to me, Matt, we're going to sit down. We're going to have some wine. We're going to get drunk. We're going to watch this movie. But the movie's about a drunk, so it's not even funny. <laughs> I can't even really like watch this and be like, <laughs> I can't have a good time with how trashy this film is and at least make fun of it. And to take it seriously, let, let, let's make the comparison here because everybody's just doing it. Let's make the comparison to Gone Girl for a minute, a film that for all of its trashy pulpness that it had as far as, you know, its commentary on the relationships between men and women. I really felt that that film, regardless of all the artistry that a filmmaker such as David Fincher provides it, but that film had so much to say on that theme that actually got a lot of people talking about uh, the gender uh, I'm going to put quotations around this specific roles of a male and a female in a relationship that I just found that so much more compelling than this, where this film, it's like everybody's a two dimensional character. Everybody's unlikable. Everybody's character motivations are just so freaking asinine. It, 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 oh my God, I'm putting my head down. I can't, I can't even right now. And Gone Girl was like a piercing satire. Right, that's what I loved about it. Freaking uh, Tyler, uh, what's his name? Tyler Perry? Tyler Perry, yeah. He Tyler comes Perry. on, he says, you two are the most fucked up people I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's gr- that, like that's, that's hysterical because it's true. And it was a satire of that. This film takes itself so seriously. So seriously. And Gone Girl is just better source material to begin with, I would imagine. Oh, yes, Absolutely. I don't think there are even that many comparisons between the two, except that they're both big thrillers that are opening on the first week of October. In terms of like thematic elements, nothing really. There's really nothing in common between. There the were two. sequences that literally that felt like Tate Taylor had tried to pull them straight out of Gone Girl, though, where um, Haley Bennett's walking out of the Pilates class and she's narrating, saying, "This place is nothing but a baby making factory" and stuff like that felt like somebody had just straight ripped out of Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. I think there were I think the film was trying to be Gone Girl, honestly, I do. Oh yeah, it was definitely trying to be. I just wonder why because there's really not a whole lot in People common. compared the books a lot before movie adaptation was ever announced. I remember that book was marketed as 2015's Gone Girl. <laughs> so, Sarah, what did you think of the decision to move the setting from England to Westchester, New York. I hated it um, um, as much as I hated it. Like, did it serve a purpose in the book yeah. to have it set in England? Yeah, it did. I mean, it's not just... I mean, I'm, I'm based just outside of London, so 
when I was reading it, I could picture, you know, the exact trains that she'd be on and, and the kind of houses they would go past and everything. And being set in London, there's just that kind of that closeness and like a claustrophobic feeling almost because the houses it talks about is you know lines and lines of terraced houses it's not two you know big mansions with a you know sprawling gardens or anything like we get in the film it's quite sort of it's very enclosed and it's you know she sees those people at every day at, you know passes the same row of houses and it's just that kind of that mundane that ordinary feeling that you get from it being set in London as well and so it's not just that it's for me personally more relatable I think it's just it completely changed the the style of the film the tone of the film I just I I would I want to see the film set in London I want to see it done properly because you know that aspect I did like and it's sort of the there's a lot more setup as well in the sense that you know you get kind of six or seven journeys of just her going back and forth seeing the same houses the same people and it's that you know sense that she's really prying on these people's lives and she has uh, a closeness to them which you know she doesn't know them but she she invents these stories and she kind of makes things up and 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 really feels that that sense of involvement so when she does actually get involved in their real lives it feels earned whereas in this it just the film it just kind of all came too quickly it was like she saw them twice and then suddenly she's around his house like drinking beer with him it's made no sense yeah what before we end did anyone else have their audience laughing at during the finale of this film, uh, yes, yeah, my theater went crazy with the corkscrew. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, I had people walk out. It, it reminded me of something out of *Birth of a Nation's finale. Oh, oh, you <laughs> mean in excessive nature? Yeah, it just like down to the details of how something happens. I don't want to go into specifics, but no, we'll, and we'll go into specifics on that review in a bit. But before, before we get to that. Let's toss it up to final thoughts, grades, any Oscar prospects. Sarah, what are your final thoughts on Gone Girl? What Oscar prospects, if any, would you give it? And what is your final grade out of 10? Um, So I hated everything about this film apart from Emily Blunt. Um, I just found it boring. It's, uh, yeah, a really poor adaptation as well, but that aside if there was no book that existed it's just a terrible film in terms of its setup and how poorly it's made and how little you actually care about what's going on um i will eat my hat if this wins any oscars um it's, it doesn't stand a chance it, in a better if this was a better film i feel like emily blunt genuinely could have got a nomination um for best actress um but the film completely fails her so I would say she doesn't stand a chance, even though she is good in this film. Um, so uh, rating, I I can't... I said 5 out of 10 when I first saw it, but I I hate it the more I think about it. So I'm downgrading that to a 2 out of 10. Okay. It's brutal. Will? Um, I'm probably going to go with her original grade, give it a 5 out of 10, 5.5, probably 5. It's... Uh, I, it is elevated by Emily Blunt's performance. I think any film that has a single truly excellent aspect can't be a one or two out of ten. And it did have that, and it did marginally engage me at times. So five out of ten. Okay. And Michael. I did not think this was a complete abomination. Like there were elements throughout that I found somewhat interesting, but they never they never really came together as a whole. So for that I'm gonna have to stick with a four out of ten. And for myself, I am going to pretty much echo the same exact thoughts that Sarah said. I'm also giving it a 2 out of 10. And that 2 is only because of Emily Blunt. Without her, this would easily be one of the worst films I have seen all year. So, man, I think I think we were, yeah, we were pretty unforgiving on, on that one right now. But... I'm sure people are going to go see it anyway, and it, it is what it is at the end of the day. Not as many as we thought, though, because it has gotten a B-minus cinema score, we might add, which means the film is getting horrendous word of mouth, because thrillers of that nature typically get B-plus, 
even A minus territory, particularly ones based on a popular book. So we'll see how many people ultimately go to see it. All right. So with that said, Sarah, tell them where they can find you on the Twitter, on the internet. And I want to just personally say thank you for joining us. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Um, so people can find me um, on Twitter. I'm at Sarah Buddery. That's B-U-D-D-E-R-Y. Um, and you can check out my uh, reviews and articles um, on sarahsawamovie.com. With that said, guys, we're going to segue into our second review here. This here is going to be our discussion, our dissection, whatever you want to call it, of Nate Parker's latest First, actually, what am I saying latest for? First directorial film. This here is The Birth of a Nation. You a child of God. You got purpose. The law put it there, and nobody can take it away. These books are for white folks. They're full of things your kind wouldn't understand. You're a special boy, Nathaniel. Study hard here. Your slaves sure do know how to behave. Well, they God, Finn. One of them's a preacher. People might pay good money to have them calm down a bit, especially by one of their own. I lead you to Peter 2.18. Submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. I'm that. What you think you're doing, boy? I asked you a question. You're done preaching for a little while. You learned your lesson, boy? Oh, yes. I've learned. To watch a strong man broken down is a terrible thing. The Lord's spoken to me. Visions of what's to come. A rise of good against evil. What are we gonna do? We'll fight. But once it begins, our brothers and sisters are joined. And we're numbering the hundreds, thousands even. And we'll rise All right, everybody, that was the trailer for The Birth of a Nation. Caused quite the buzz at Sundance this year. The film is now out in wide release. The story is as follows. Nat Turner is an enslaved Baptist preacher who lives on a Virginia plantation owned by Samuel Turner. With rumors of insurrection in the air, a cleric convinces Samuel that Nate should sermonize to other slaves, thereby quelling any notions of an uprising. As Nat witnesses the horrific treatment of his fellow man, he realizes that he can no longer just stand by and preach. On August 21st, 1831, Turner's quest for justice and freedom leads to a violent and historic rebellion in Southampton County. The film is starring Nate Parker, Army Hammer, Aja Naomi King, Jackie Earl Haley, Penelope Ann Miller, and Gabrielle Union. Guys... One of the most anticipated films of the year with all of the buzz and controversy surrounding it. Let's start off first with you, Michael. What did you think of The Birth of a Nation? I think looking at it as just a piece of art, aside from all the controversy that we've heard about over the last couple of months, I don't want to say it's a great film, but I think it's a passionate and well-made film. Uh, I think it definitely has more going for it in terms of direction than it does storytelling. But I really do believe that it has a lot to say, and it's worth looking at as just a piece of art. All right. Will? Yeah, I would say it was a film I found myself finding a lot to criticize throughout, which we'll get into later in the review. But when it all concluded, it did have a raw emotional oomph that really left me with something. The the film's hit me more than I expected. So it has an important message and there's enough passion in there to largely overcome its flaws, I would say. Well, I'm pretty much in the same boat as the two of you. This is a flawed yet passionately powerful film. Uh, Nate Parker wrote, directed, produced, and acted in this film. And it's funny, my review on Next Best Picture, I actually tackled all four of these here, and I ranked them from what I thought was best to worst overall. I admire this film, and I admire how much Parker threw himself into this 
from writing the screenplay to getting the financing together to directing it himself to starring in it. And I think this film lives and dies by his lead performance. Um, I believe he is so compelling and so magnetic that he just completely owns the screen. And every scene that he's in, I really truly felt the emotional connection that he was trying to establish with the audience that when the final couple of minutes of the film occur you're right it, it does become that emotional gut punch and it's something that you could definitely compare to other films such as glory or braveheart in many ways i think the worst part of this film though is his direction Really? I say this, yeah. I say this because there are a couple of times in the movie, and some of this is a limitation of its of the film's budget. But there are a couple of times where I just felt like I was watching the greatest student film ever made. Oh, definitely. I felt very strongly that some of the edits were very the amateurish. Really, really distracted me. Yes. Like yeah, so I many cuts. I don't disagree with that, the student film comment. I, I think that's actually somewhat accurate. But I think some of the shots that he got out of it and some of the decisions he makes are, I, I found them, I don't want to say compelling, but I felt that they worked within the context. Well, he had some good, I mean, some good art, um, artistic moments. I mean, I think it does show that this is his first film. You know, the symbolism is definitely heavy-handed. The butterfly yes. coming down. And, and the, the angel. And the angel. Oh, don't even get me started on the angel. And then, you know, lots of Dutch tilts during the fight and stuff. Um, and the fight. The fight is something, I mean, was definitely constrained by its budget. But I didn't – the final battle was not something I loved his execution on. You know, I – it was fine until he starts grappling with Jackie Earl Haley, and then it looks pretty unconvincing as Haley's trying to choke him. And then, of course, they have the, oh my god, is he going to grab the knife from the dirt beside him execution? Yeah. You know, like, scenes like that were where I felt like the weak points in his direction really showed. I almost felt that, as somebody who had a hand in every single aspect of this film... I would have preferred if this would have been handed over to a more experienced and seasoned director. Let Nate Parker tell the story of how he got the financing together, produced and brought the movie together, wrote the screenplay, wants to act in it himself. But I, I, I don't think a story of this magnitude, because this is an important story. I don't know if it deserved to be directed by a debut filmmaker here. Out of Sundance, I heard people saying that it was something like an Ed Zwick film who did Glory and, you know, a lot of those 90s, uh, you know, mid-level period pieces. And I don't disagree with that. I think it has a lot in common with that type of film. And it may have, as much as I liked some of the decisions he made, it may have benefited from having a more seasoned director. Yeah, I definitely think so as well. Let's talk about some of the other merits of the film, though. Um, what did you guys think of Henry Jackman's score? Um, I was so impressed by the first Henry Jackman score I was introduced to a few years back with X-Men First Class, which was one of the only times a Marvel kind of film had a memorable score. But he's yet to do anything since then that's really impressed me. And I felt like in general, with the exception of one or two pretty cool tracks, the score wasn't bad. It just didn't really add anything. Oh, I disagree completely. I, I actually really liked the score, and I really thought it highlighted the emotional uh, power that I was speaking about before of the film. Um, there's some uh, choral elements here that I thought worked very well. There was uh, some African tribal music, especially like in the beginning, um, that I thought was uh, really well done as yeah, well. Yeah, those are my favorite tracks, the ones that incorporate the tribal music, particularly in the final battle. That was epic when that, when that particular track came in. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, for sure. You know, one one thing I was really kind of hoping for, uh, because I thought he got a lot of screen time, and I was just waiting for that one scene, just that one scene to kind of maybe possibly get the guy a nomination. I really dug Army Hammer in this. He's not bad. No. The, the role just doesn't have enough, unfortunately, for him. Yeah, he didn't go above and beyond. I liked, though, that, you know, 
a couple of the characters in this film were almost cartoonishly evil. Jackie I, Earl Haley. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm sure a lot of people in the old South were just monsters. But I liked in the case of Army Hammer, in a lot of ways he was a bad guy. But you saw also on some level, even though he viewed him as property, he had some form of affection for Nat Turner. And I thought that was an interesting bit of depth that that character had that you're right. If we'd had one more big scene could have really done something for army hammer as far as award season goes. I liked uh, the little bit that we got of Penelope Ann Miller. Oh yeah. In the beginning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I wish uh, we had seen a little bit more of her. Yeah. She was good. And um, was she the mom? Yeah. Who taught him how to read? Yeah. And she popped in and out from time to time. I mean, she uh, wasn't a big fan of her old age makeup, but yeah. Yeah, that, that's when you could tell it was sort of restrained by its budget and some of the makeup, especially with the Jackie Earl Haley stuff 20 years later. Uh, 20 years later, he looked exactly the same. Speaking of performances, Jackie Earl Haley, who I've liked in a lot of things, was not good in this. No. No, what I'm saying about the makeup is that you could see a little bit. He looked bit exactly was, the same. They, they were trying to do some stuff, but if you look closely, but for the most part, like it didn't work as expected and he did look the same. It wasn't like an overdone. It was more of an underdone type of thing. What did you guys think about the cinematography? I thought it was beautiful. I thought a lot of it was like very Terrence Malick-esque, even if it doesn't rise to the level of something that Emmanuel Lubezki would do. But a lot of it, like you have the natural light filtered in through some scenes. And then there was one very beautiful shot of a candle in a background. Oh, yeah. That was a lot. Yeah. You talking about with the rains dripping on it? Yeah. Yeah. And then even the final, or towards the end, uh, there's a, could we give it away because it's history or you'd rather not? I'd rather not. Okay. Uh, a scene where a lot of people are gathering around, that's all I'll say. And it's a brutal scene to watch, but the way that it was filmed, uh, I like that. Me too. I completely agree with that. I really did like that. Um, the final shot and the final shot uh, before that, I really, really thought those were artistically well done. Um, there's a scene where there are multiple bodies hanging and the camera's pulling back that I thought was really well done. Yeah, th- th- that was like stopped my heart for a minute seeing mm-hmm. that. I'm not sure how I felt with the butterfly there, but otherwise, yeah. I think that's that heavy-handed symbolism that you were talking about before, creeping in with that butterfly. I'm not really sure how I like that little touch. The shot itself was very powerful, though. But the one thing that I really, really liked about this film was the overall aesthetic of it. Because to me, I'm not really used to seeing such a white hue cast over um, the South like this during this time. Usually it's very bright yellow colors to illustrate the heat, lots of greens. This film had a very white look to it. And I kind of got this sense that the decision for that high-key lighting in many scenes was to almost illuminate God's light shining down on the world to tie in with the religious uh, themes of the film. Did anybody else kind of maybe get a sense of that while watching this? I was more focused on it being swamped in shadows and darkness for most of it, I felt like. Um, and, I, and I liked that. I hadn't, I hadn't considered the religious aspect you're referring to there. But that is possible. It was definitely a different look at the South as far as aesthetics go. I mean, I guess the daytime stuff was like that, but a lot more of the film took place at night, too, and that was kind of exploring the darkness of the South if we're going to symbolic meaning of the light, I guess. Sure. I got to just talk about this since we're talking about shots, cinematography, and so on and so forth. What is up with this shot of the angel, guys? It was in there twice. Took me right out of it. Oh, it was so cringeworthy. I could not understand it. Not only does it not work having that type of shot, but the one that they use, like the way that it's uh, put on screen, it does not look convincing at all. Like here you have something that shouldn't even be there in the first place, but at least make it look like it's somewhat decent. Not from a school Christmas pageant, basically. Right. That's exactly what it looked like. And the first thing that came to mind when I saw it was, Nate Parker, you're not Bob Fosse. You can't pull off all that jazz. I just thought it was unneeded altogether. Like, if you take it out of the film, I don't know what it 
the, the film does, does not get hurt, in my opinion. It shows up during two of the film's most powerful scenes, the angel does, and in both cases, it negatively impacted my emotional experience seeing that damn angel just hovering there. Because both those scenes are just brutal emotional moments, and then it cuts to this grade school-looking angel costume. Did anybody uh, think that they made Nat Turner out to be too much like a Christ figure? He was stretched out like Jesus. Here's what I thought. Yes, it did like make a saint out of him. But what I did admire about it was that while it didn't dive into this notion, it did play with the fact that like maybe there was something a little mentally off about him. Like he had all these ideas to start a rebellion, but then it like just for a second, the film considers maybe this isn't the right thing. Maybe this is like a guy who has some serious issues. Did anyone else feel that way? Oh, I totally felt that way. Absolutely. There's a line in the film where he's talking. I can't remember who it is he's talking to, but they're talking about how uh, the god that they worship is a god of love, but then he replies that he's also a god of wrath. And as soon as he said that line, I immediately started feeling uncomfortable because that's when I felt like the film was, you know, when we're dealing a lot with uh, Islamic extremism in today's society and killing in the name of religion, I kind of got this really just uncomfortable sense of, this guy's twisting the teachings of love uh, from the Holy Bible and using it as a means for retaliation and acts of violence. And I, that really, really, really hit me hard, maybe ask a lot of questions, but it also kind of made me take a step back and go, you know what, I'm not sure if I agree with this. I'm not sure if this is the right way. As somebody that was raised a Catholic, it really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I know that's how the story goes. I know that's what really happened and such, you know, but, right. b- but I, I, I don't know. I, I, was it handled delicately? I guess is the question I'm ultimately asking here. Cause I'm not totally sure. It's like he went the Martin, he, he went the Malcolm X route instead of the Martin Luther King route is what ended up happening here. I think it was good to show that. I mean, you noticed, um, in one of the shots too, during the rebellion, it shows them break into some uh, plantation owner's house, and they don't just kill the husband. They take out the wife, too. Um, and I, I was glad it, while it did make him out to be a martyr and a hero, and I think he was a hero. I think, um, violent or not, what he thought for was valiantly, and he left a hell, he left a hell of a legacy. Um, you know, they did kill women and children during the uh, rebellion, quite a few. And I was glad they showed that just because... It's an important story worth telling. Yeah. Most heroes are flawed. And I'm, I'm glad they, they illustrate, though he is a hero, he's a flawed hero. Yeah. While we're talking about the rebellion sequence, how did we feel about the violence? Like, obviously, it's going to be a violent scene. But were either of you put off by any of it? Because there was one shot in particular that uh, I think went a little bit too far. No. No, uh, not at all. For, not for me. I've seen I've seen a lot more violent films than this. 100%. Or maybe it just felt a little indulgent, given given the context. But there's one scene where a character goes to do something himself. He has permission. Do you both know what I'm talking about? Yes. yes. And I don't think the scene was unnecessary. But there's one shot of it that I didn't need to see. I know what you're referring to. I think it goes on like a second too long. Yeah, I, I get it. I didn't personally have a problem with that. I think that was probably very cathartic for that character. And on some level, I think the character that occurred with was the most despicable in the film. Yeah. So it might have been a little gratuitous, but it didn't really put me off. And if you compare Birth of a Nation to a film like Braveheart, which is kind of a similar story. Well, he did get advice from Mel Gibson before making it, apparently. Well, it's nowhere near as gory as Braveheart, is I guess what I'm saying. It's also not as good as Braveheart, and I know people that think Braveheart is complete and utter shit. I'm, I'm a fan of Braveheart, though, so... Well, we'll have to see how this compares to Hacksaw Ridge later in the year in terms of uh, which is more brutal. 
Uh, yeah, I can tell you that if you saw that film's MPA rating this week, plus I've seen it, that's one of the goriest films I've ever seen. But we'll get to that in a month or so. All right. What do we think happens next with Nate Parker's career? Because he does show a lot of potential here, but will he make another movie? I will say this. I saw the film last night and my theater was packed. There was a ton of people. There was some clapping at the end. Um, we were talking about this off air before. The film has a A cinema score rating. Is that correct? Yes. So word of mouth for this, I think, is going to be pretty big overall. I have a feeling that the film will prove to be successful. As a result, though, I don't. I think Nate Parker will continue to make films in Hollywood. I don't know if he's going to get this spotlight ever again. He may get a chance to direct another film, and it could be a great film, but I don't think that the media and the industry is ever going to allow him to have this large of a spotlight ever again. I think he'll disappear for a year or two, and then he'll come back at the very least to acting. Um, and he might, as you said, he might direct again. I, I don't think we'll get to see a film that Nate Parker completely wills into existence like this one, though. It's a bit of a vanity project. We could admit that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's everything I really need to say about it. Uh, I admired it, a lot of it. I was put off by a lot of it. But in the end, I think it's a film uh, worth checking out and discussing. Final grade then, Michael? Oh, uh, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. All righty. Will, final thoughts, final grade. Yeah, I think I'll go with Michael. I'll give it a 7 out of 10. Uh, maybe a 7.5 because the final two shots really got me, but probably a 7. I'm with both of you on this, 7 out of 10. Is this the first time we've ever agreed on something? I think it is. This is a historic moment in the next Best Picture podcast. <laughs> um, you know... Let's just bring this up, too, really quick. Oscar prospects for the film. You know, we talked about how we think audiences will respond. We talked about how we think Nate Parker's career is going to go. What do you guys feel are the Oscar prospects on a film such as this? Because the film isn't terrible. And I think that there are a lot of people that are going to, in a, system, in a voting system such as this when it comes to Best Picture, let me, let me just throw this comparison out there for you for a second. If Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close can get nominated for Best Picture underneath these guidelines, what's stopping the birth of a nation, especially when you consider the passion and support that it does have from some people? Well, I think Extremely Loud is a better film than this. I really do. Damn. Oh, I, I hated that film. I, I, I'm in the minority on that one. I was actually uh, very taken with Extremely Loud a few years ago. Uh, even if you take away the controversy from this one, and... I honestly do think this. I don't know that on quality alone, it would have enough to get into the best picture race. I think this was being oversold at Sundance because of the whole Oscar so white thing happening at the same time. People were just hungry for films with diversity. And this was obviously a big title then that in a way, I think the hype may have hurt it. And then you have this controversy that came out over the summer on top of that. Uh, it could honestly go either way, because now that it's known, people might go check it out and decide that it needs to be in this conversation. But honestly, I could see it going either way. I think uh, we see how it does financially over the next couple weeks. It was not tracking to make money. In fact, it was tracking to make almost disastrous numbers for a film that was in more than 2,000 theaters. It was tracking to make about $8 million this weekend. If it overperforms, and it might with that cinema score, we might see it sneak into the Best Picture lineup. I currently don't have it, but it definitely will have an impact on people. I'm also probably... I've definitely removed Nate Parker from my Best Director lineups. Yes. I'm not sure if he makes my Best Actor lineup. I think he still chans stands a chance at a Best Actor nomination, regardless of his controversy. Um, I probably don't have him in the immediate five I'm predicting, though. I 
absolutely agree with you. I have taken him out of my best director lineup as well. I actually have the film back in for best picture. I think Nate Parker's performance and lead actor actually might just be the most sure thing that the film may have going for it. Um, I actually think Henry Jackman's score stands a chance. I think on a better day, but don't quote me on this, I think Aja Naomi King might even have a chance. I don't think she has enough to do. Well, and if the film had been bigger, she might have coat, uh, you know, coattailed her way in. But I think Michael's right. It's not really that showy a part. And for a part like that, you need to have a film that is beloved by the Academy. That's going to get a lot of votes. No text, by the way, other than maybe score. You're right. That wasn't costume design. Um, I've, I. Maybe, although I think the costumes were sometimes a spot where the film's limited budget showed. I know that that was something a few of the other reviews had called out. And I didn't really notice that except for the soldiers toward the end who did kind of look like those were costumes. Sure. But I I think in a year with some flashier stuff since the film isn't going to be a tech player across the board like 12 Years a Slave was, I think it misses a costume nomination. The costume and production design branches like to play favorites a lot of the time. So I, I don't know exactly who did the costumes in production for this. I didn't look it up before we started to speak. But when you look at last year's Oscars, when The Revenant gets in for costumes and production design, it's because uh, they're like in with the branches. So... I don't think it's bad work by any means, but it just didn't really jump out to me. But that I'm not ready to discount it yet. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I definitely hear what you're saying on that. Alrighty. Well, with that said, that has been our review of The Birth of a Nation. Uh, we also have reviewed on this show Gone Girl. <laughs> I'm sorry, The Girl on the Train. Definitely not Gone Girl. It's nowhere near as good as Gone Girl. And so, guys, where can everybody find you on the internet? Michael? You can find me on Twitter at MikeMovie. And Will? You can find me on Twitter at MaverixMovies. And I am Matt Neglia. You can find me at NextBestPicture. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this double review here today of The Girl on the Train and The Birth of a Nation. We will see you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.